Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. of WA Expose, a podcast about local arts by local artists. As always, I'm your host, Aria Scarlett, with the immense privilege of recording on Wajak Noongar Burja. Today's guest is a rule breaker, game changer and advocate for women. She is also an experienced CEO, concert promoter, creative director, professional musician, entrepreneur, mentor and consultant, just to name a few. She's the founder of the groundbreaking Perth Symphony Orchestra as one of WA's largest arts companies, as well as being the founder of Rare, really awesome regional events company based in the Wheatbelt of WA. She's the director of North Street Music, which produces major concerts and orchestral experiences, runs business skills courses and development programs for musicians and artists, and works as a consultant with major corporations offering transformational programs for employees, leaders and clients by bringing arts into the workplace at every level. She's in demand as a keynote speaker and motivational speaker and a panelist, but today she's sitting right in front of me. I'm talking, of course, about Bobby Webster. Hi, Bobby. How are you? I am very well. How are you? <laughs> I'm good. I promise I don't change my voice that much. <laughs> Not that much for the show, I promise. Um, okay, so I normally try and start with an entry point of why. So for you, why a career in the arts? Oh my God, do you know what? No one has ever asked me that. I don't even know if Coming I know in the here answer. Coming with the hard-hitting questions. Which yeah, is just like, um, <laughs> because I literally couldn't do anything else. Have, really? Look, having said that, I did go sideways into the corporate world. Yeah. But that was because I saw that I couldn't do the art I wanted to do because I didn't have the skills I needed. So the only reason I went into the commercial business sector was to be able to... Continue doing the arts. Talk what yeah. a deal was so I could do the arts. So, yeah, yeah why the arts? Because it's in me. It's who I am. It's every iota of my being to sing and connect through music yeah totally. so yeah, yeah. No, no choice and I don't care what I do in life I will still call myself a musician first oh a hundred percent that's like because that's what your foundation is in yeah you, uh, for people who don't know and might know you as more of the CEO and the leader of a thousand different things all at once um can you talk a little bit about your musicianship first absolutely um, look, my parents are not professional musicians. In fact, did I have, do I? No, I literally, I can't think of a professional musician in my family. I'm sorry to any of my family listening if you are. No, no. Um, Shaking just, their ukulele. I know, but everyone around me was musical. I just grew up in a musical environment. And so we had a, a loft um, that had about nine different instruments in it randomly that my parents, one was called a zither. And I've never seen one before or since. It's a flat tabletop harp. Cool. And you slide pieces of music under the strings and you follow it. It's like literally painting by numbers and it cool. makes the most beautiful sound. And my sister and I used to jam on that and I just loved it. Recorder, of course. 
Um, my first instrument was the tenor horn. It's super cute. It looks like a baby tuba. <laughs> um, loved singing. Always have sung far too loud and far too long, even in <laughs> choir. You know, when the choir mistress stops everyone singing and there's always someone that sings a couple of notes more, that was me. Yeah, they're like, we're supposed to be one voice and you are just one, one voice. Correct. <laughs> one voice plus the choir. Mm. It looks so... But we also had a really scratchy old violin um, and for some reason I really loved it even though it's physically a really crappy instrument to play it's annoying your arm is twisted round back on itself it's stuck out to the side the whole time imagine holding a brick for three hours and not moving I mean and your movements are microscopically small Mm. oh and you're vibrating your hand the whole time I mean I, I challenge anyone to sit there right now and twist your left arm back on itself and vibrate it in a small movement and last more than three minutes. Yeah. So it's it's a ridiculously uncomfortable thing to play, but twisting I loved it. Twisting your neck as well, twisting your yeah. neck to get on the thing. Yeah. yeah, and then, you know, the violin um, is a melodic instrument. And I found after playing it in school orchestras and things, I just didn't want to be the show-offy one and mm. didn't want to prance around the instrument. And I just felt it wasn't my personality and my teacher said, that's because you're a viola player. And I was like, oh, ha, 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 ha. It's exactly the same. It's just a big violin. And he was like, no, it's like, you know, literally the difference between rugby and AFL. You've still got people on a field. Yeah. You've still got goalposts and you've still got an oval ball. But the personality of the people that do those things is completely different. Mm. I changed to viola and it was like coming home. I'm like, wow. oh, oh, this is who I am. So, yeah, so I'm a viola player now. Incredible. Um, and your viola playing like led you to quite incredible heights, if I do say so. Oh, no, no, I'm a bit of a fan, a bit of a fan <laughs> sitting across from you currently. Um, and then you've t- sort of like 180'd that into, well, not even 180 because obviously they're still connected. Um, 180s can be connected. I'm still making sense for sure. I get it. I, <laughs> the thing is, I speak your language. Keep going. <laughs> <laughs> no, otherwise this is just be a monologue podcast. Hey. No one wants that. Um, so we, what made you make the change from being like, I'm 100% a musician and then being like, I maybe need to do 80% musician, 20% business persona? Oh, look, at one stage it was 80% business and 20% musician. I'm definitely (laughs) hauling that back at the moment. Um, It's been so cool to see. Yeah, and honestly, I can't begin to tell you how um, it changes your life getting back to being creative. Mm. And, you know, hopefully we'll come on to that a bit in this podcast because the world needs to be creative, in Mm. my view. Um, I mean, I hope that that's not controversial to anyone. uh, I don't think it it is. It shouldn't be because it's actually in our DNA. Mm. But, um, yeah, look, they're, they're... the, the, the one thing about arts and music is it takes us on a journey mm. and it connects us to extraordinary people that on the face of it, we wouldn't know we have anything in common with because it's our souls that communicate, not our beliefs or values or exterior. We can be very different human beings and yet still connect through art, which is why I love it. Um, and, you know, I had a remarkable journey of switching from being a classical viola player to a contemporary one and playing electric Um, And as soon as you go into the contemporary world from the classical world, I mean, holy crap, I don't know an industry um, that is so enormous and so diverse as the music industry. So even within the arts, within music, the difference between a rock and roll singer with a record deal at Universal Records or Sony Records versus a classical viola player playing in the London Symphony Orchestra, their experiences of what industry, job, work means could not be more different totally I mean just the mindset the the business model just 
you know what they know about a microphone a hundred percent I mean god when someone put a microphone in my face for the first time I was like what is that what do I do with it you know literally had no idea what are cans I thought baked beans came in them what you put totally. them on your head what's going on um look you mean so the room wasn't purpose built for my viola correct yeah. I know exactly so look that was so eye-opening to me and the one thing that happened when I had that record deal um playing contemporary viola was Who's paying for this? How is mm. this working? There seem to be four musicians involved and 98 lawyers, accountants, publicists, tour managers, set designers, makeup artists, you name it. Everyone mm. was like, oh, what's that you play? And I'm like, so hang on a minute. The majority of people working in the recording industry aren't musicians. Mm-hmm. So I was just like, well, hang on a minute. How does everyone get paid then? And, you know, who's paying you? And Why are we doing this? And it just none of it made sense to me. I didn't understand how it how worked. How much of that could have been going to me? <laughs> I know. Yeah. Well, in the classical industry, it's like, you know, here's a gig sheet. It tells you where to park, how many rehearsals you've got, where to collect your music. And you literally turn up on the day, stick it on your music stand, play. Mm. And then the money lands in your bank account two days later. You've done the job. In the recording industry, you know, you're in a band for two and a half years. Mm. Someone is clearly paying for quite extravagant things. I was very blessed to record at Abbey Road and the Royal mm. Philharmonic was my backing band. Um, and I'm like, so who's paying for this? <laughs> and I wasn't getting any money. So I was like, okay, something's going on here that I don't understand. But what I could see was just how by playing contemporary music and dressing differently and connecting with an audience instead of staring at a music stand sitting sideways, Mm. which is what you do in an orchestra, had a massive profound impact on me and the people I was communicating music to. Mm. And I thought if I could bring some of those lessons from the contemporary world into the classical world, maybe I could transform it. Not the music doesn't need transforming. Classical music is extraordinary. Mm -hmm. How we package it it's the same as 150 years ago. And yeah. frankly, you know, we don't even want to drive a car that was built four years ago, you know, totally. so why? So and we, audiences have actively told us that they're over the way that it's been packaged for a hot minute. They're 100%. overpaying $100 for a bad seat behind a pole where Correct. they can't hear anything or see anything and they get bored and want to be on their phone. And they've told us that for 20 years or well, more than that, honestly. Precisely. Yeah. And it's still, you know, are we really listening? Are we really listening? No. So, so yeah, so threw myself into the corporate world and learnt and was a sponge. And to be honest, it is fascinating. I love how business works. I love economics. I love, you know, sort of understand. I love reading case studies on businesses, why they succeed, why they fail. I'm a bit of a nerd now. Yeah, I was a nerd. I know, but, you know, that facilitated uh, a career in admin behind the scenes and mm. whilst I built a symphony orchestra thinking right I've got the business skills now I can create something I can play in <laughs> oh how naive I was to think that you could run a symphony orchestra and do enough practice and get yourself on the stage in the right mindset to actually play no yeah. impossible I played for the first three years and as the orchestra got bigger than Ben-Hur it just became blatantly obvious that I was needed out schmoozing sponsors and working behind the scenes, you know. Oh, yes, of course. And we're talking about Perth Symphony Orchestra when we Correct. talk about the orchestra. Yes. Um, I've always wondered why Perth, not in the name, but why set up the orchestra in Perth? Oh, I see. Gosh, good question. Yeah. I mean, uh, I love us, but why, <laughs> yes. why here? Uh, look, very, very clear reasons. When I first landed in Perth, um, which was basically straight after um, I'd left the band, um, I'd played in numerous different kinds of orchestras in Britain you know whether it's working with a group in full brock costume Mm. with buckled (laughs) shoes playing in flickering candlelight in the vaults under the academy of St Martin in the fields in Trafalgar Square whether it was you know 
seeing orchestras in full Star Wars costumes touring around Britain playing to Star Wars fans, whether it was doing open-air concerts outside stately homes with people waving flags. All of that was going on. I arrive in Perth and absolutely none of that was going on. Mm -hmm. Not only that, at the time, and, you know, look, Wazo, the WA Symphony Orchestra, has transformed over the last 20 years. And it's a an incredibly, you know, diverse orchestra now. But at the time, I don't recall it playing outside at all I mean you know Symphony in the City didn't exist Mm. it was an orchestra playing very traditional classical programs in the concert hall full stop and here was me saying well I'd like to play in an orchestra no there isn't one unless it's that one so Mm -hmm. I was like wow there's literally an orchestra in WA how could this be I mean I'd always grown up with so many orchestras you know even our um some of our amateur orchestras in Britain are full of virtuoso musicians that have Mm. gone on to do chemistry or politics but they were principal players in the National Youth Orchestra. So, yeah. you know, they were finalists in the BBC Young Musician of the Year. They just happened to choose not to do it for a mm. career. So um, I sat here and went, we have this beautiful climate. And most of open air concerts in Britain are people sitting there wearing anoraks, waving flags in the <laughs> rain. Yeah. Um, the orchestra's dry, but the patrons aren't. And that's 20,000 people in a soggy field. Um, second reason was I felt that we had the most extraordinary backdrop that the mm. state, the state is our stage, whether, you know, you're playing against rocks or deserts or, you know, bush or trees or eucalypts. We have the most extraordinary yeah. place in which to play. Um, a huge number of people, Aria, were literally saying, wouldn't be seen dead in the concert hall. Orchestra's not my thing. Yep. Everyone in England has grown up with music. And just loves it and isn't frightened of singing. Here, there's a massive cringe. If mm. I give someone a basketball and say, do you want to practice, you know, even if it's in front of your colleagues, do you want to have an attempt at shooting that basket? People will have no problem. Yeah, I'll give it a go. It doesn't matter if I miss. If I'm like, mm. do you want to just stand here and sing? Oh my God, no. Yeah. Like that massive cultural cringe we have in Australia. Don't want it. Don't like it. Not for me. And I'm like, hang on a minute. You watch Lord of the Rings in those battle scenes where there's no dialogue, it's just incredible music and Mm. galloping horses, what, you turn that off and put Britney Spears on? (laughs) And everyone's like, no, 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 no. And I'm like, okay, so we have a problem here that we have a vast population that clearly loves orchestral music but will never go see it live. I have to do something about that. Mm -hmm. So for me, Perth was this opportunity to do something really that I knew was going to be a game changer that was going to have a profound impact. That, you know, you could be a big fish, you know, in a little pond here. Mm. Whereas if I went back to London to try and start something there, there's already 24 orchestras. <laughs> yeah, what makes you special? Correct. Yeah. Whereas, so I knew, I knew. But also, um, artists were leaving. There was just this yeah. exodus of talent. And Aria, you know, you studied at Whopper, the WA Academy, and you'll know how many of your colleagues and friends didn't stay here, mm. you know, do, yeah. and have chosen to go overseas. Well, I remember every single time I was told that I needed to leave. Correct. <laughs> and I felt so sad for everybody that lives here going, so hang on a minute, we're not going to get the best that we can get. We're not going to get access to our own incredible talent because they won't stay here. Well, and why would they? when they come back to raise their kids 20 years later. Precisely, yeah. precisely. But, you know. It's not the same. <laughs> it's not the same. And there I was, you know, as a 24-year-old when I got here and, Everybody that I was loving playing was was like, oh, I'm off to Amsterdam. Oh, mm. I'm off to Sydney. I'm off to Miami. And I thought, gosh, this is, we need to create work. Mm. We need to create extraordinary things that stretch people and challenge people and have a home for artists. So a very long reason. 
that's why Perth. That's a great reason. We love a long, I love a long reason. That's when I get to be like, great, I'm not even in my show anymore. That's what I want. <laughs> Speaking of monologues. <laughs> my ideal version of the show is me coming and being like, why the arts? And then I leave and they don't come back for an hour and then the person's still talking and I go, thank you for listening to Yeah, <laughs> look, that, do you know what that is one end. thing all of us have in common is that we we have we love and hate it so much. Mm. We hate it because it tears us apart and it's such a hard career, but we love it because we can't do anything else and it's why we live. And yes. so we can talk about it for a very long can, time. Definitely. Ask anybody to be like, what's your method? And they'll be like, oh God, no, we all have to leave. We all have to leave right now. <laughs> um, so through creating Perth Symphony Orchestra, did you see the cultural shift? Oh my goodness. Yeah. Oh my goodness. Me. Good. I'm glad. I love, I have so many extraordinary memories you know the one from um we did Vivaldi by candlelight in Christchurch Claremont and we had this gorgeous actor dress up Nick um as Vivaldi in his gorgeous frilly cuffs and costumes prancing around the church and um you know we we make it exceptional and afterwards a lady wrote to me saying look I bought my three children to introduce them to classical music and I think she said you know the ages were like sort of 12 9 and 6 or something Mm, when everything's bad yeah right and And trying to sit still through a classical concert and she said you know in the interval we sort of said okay guys you ready to go no 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 we want to stay she said they were hooked throughout two of them are now learning the violin and you know that's just one that's mm. it. Literally one concert, one brave parent saying, I'd like my kids to do this. And then two extra children experience the joy and all of the benefits that come with the experience of learning an instrument, which, you know, as I will keep coming back to, we are meant to do. It is a human trait totally. to be musicians. Every single human on this planet is a musician. Yeah. So if you're <laughs> denying it right now and saying, I can't sing in tune, and I've got no sense of rhythm. It's because you haven't been exposed to it enough. It is no, in you. No, don't tell them that they can sing. I'll lose my job. <laughs> <laughs> no, singing and singing well are two very, very different things, Aria, as we know well. <laughs> um, you mentioned the actor that you got to play Vivaldi, which is like one of the ways that you were breaking that barrier between mm-hmm. like the a contemporary audience and a, and a classical piece of music. What are some other ways that PSO or many a million different projects, it doesn't just have to be PSO, has like broken that barrier down? But there is so much we can learn from other industries, other things. You know, if you look at how TED Talks, why are they captivating and engaging? Because you mm. learn something or someone's revealing something new and interesting. So could we do that in a concert? Yes. So we did... Um, Performance for Our Planet, where we took four themes of fire, air, water, desert, um, and brought in a panelists who are researchers or biologists or oceanographers and performed pieces of music that evoke the ocean or the desert or whatever stunning and also all written by Australians and you could hear like bits of bird song in them and it was just beautiful and then got these people to sort of talk about that kind of you know and talk about the extraordinary stuff the biodiversity so almost sort of saying it's TED Talk meets concert you Mm. know I, I looked at the Rolling Stones and went well hang on a minute why is it some fairly crusty old blokes (laughs) yeah and with all due respect I don't think they were amazing songwriters their songs matter to the world because they're ingrained in us for historical reasons and Mm. they trigger our memories and they represent a a movement in culture which is so enormous and the songs are brilliant for that yes but are they brilliantly crafted songs for me and I forgive the mad Rolling Stones fans out there but no they're not Mm. and yet why is it that they've had pretty much 40 songs and they can play those same 40 songs for 60 years Mm. maybe it's 50 um (laughs) and people will pay 400 dollars a ticket yeah 
Why is it in the classical world, we have over 300,000 pieces on regular rotation of some of the most life-changing music that has caused people to go to war, burn churches, stand up for women's rights. I mean, you name it, the Mm. classical music, you know, oeuvre over centuries has literally um, been a call to action and has inspired and whatever. And yet people just won't come, won't even pay $35 a ticket. What is that? So if you look at that world and say, okay, the Rolling Stones songs are four minutes. Okay, maybe playing an hour-long symphony that no one's heard before might be a stretch because if the Rolling Stones played an hour-long song that was a new one, most people at their concerts would get out and walk up, you know. Sorry, get up and walk out. No, I got you. <laughs> so we, you know, I literally said, okay, we need a front man because guess what? Our conductor has their ass to the audience the mm. whole time. So you're looking at someone's back. I mean, yep. if that's not a... Particularly gorgeous ass. <laughs> I mean, most, oh, thank God we've always had female conductors, but, mm. you know, that's not communicating directly, yeah. making eye contact, which humans need. You know, our musicians sit sideways and stare at their bits of paper and most of the musicians you can't even see we play hugely long pieces you can't clap between and show any emotion so I went okay it's time for us to be Rolling Stones short pieces every single time someone communicating telling stories about why the music was written because whenever Mick Jagger's like oh this one was written on highway 33 Mm. driving down whatever in the Cadillac or and suddenly that song comes to life you know so we basically just you know and at a Rolling Stones concert you are dancing, you have a glass of wine in your hand. So we literally just took every lesson we could from other industries, other genres, other experiences that people can connect with and then used our incredible music as the heart and soul of that experience but used all the trimmings from those other experiences. Yes, uh, completely. That's so, it's really, really good to hear. And I'm glad that it's something that has caught on because you see more and more people taking that idea of being like this thing that I love, I recognize has elitist qualities to it because it's exactly what happened to me when I was graduating from university was being like, I am in love with something that people do not want. (laughs) And I, why is that? Why am I still in love with it? And what can I do to like make it more accessible to people? And that's like a huge thing because it was originally... Um, without getting too much on a monologue about like music stuff that people don't want to hear. Um, but it wasn't originally music for pe- for the people. And then something happened and changed and suddenly it became like, oh, only for the rich people. Correct. And then we all zoned out because like that's not most of us. A hundred percent. And, you know, transforming what you've done, you know, where you're using your classically trained voice, but in the most gorgeous, accessible, you know, um, rich experience but three-dimensional experience you know often what you're doing is full of movement as well and you know it it is it's just challenging there's you know nothing wrong with our music it just got put in a box with a lock on it and Mm -hmm. told you can only get the key if you're this certain demographic yeah you know the numbers of stories of really disadvantaged kids you know in Harlem in New York or whatever becoming concert cellists or you just have to let people in. You've got to give everyone that key and let them have a go. Yeah. And we all find something in life that suddenly ignites a fire and that's it. Yeah, suddenly becoming uh, gatekeepers of what was and wasn't allowed only ended up shutting the music out from the majority of people, which I can't imagine was the original intent. Of course not. At all. Of course <laughs> it doesn't, not. doesn't make any sense. Well, do you know, I was recently reading about a Mozart symphony and... Um, Basically, Mozart rewrote a second movement because in the concert, he hadn't had allowed enough applause after the second movement. Nice. And was like, okay, obviously that didn't work as much as I wanted to. I'll rewrite that movement. I mean, for God's sake, we don't let people clap after the second movement anymore. Mm -hmm. And yet here was Mozart so desperate for it 
that he was willing to go back and recompose the whole damn symphony. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> hello. We should almost do it the same way that um, that we do burlesque, where we just tell people that if you see something you like, make some noise about it. If 100%. somebody takes off a glove and you think that's particularly interesting, then you should make a big sound about it. I'm all here for someone to be in the middle of a symphony and, and a, a flautist plays an incredible passage. Yeah. I want to hear you clap for it. Jazz that was do very it. Good. Yeah, you can do it in jazz. It. So yeah. it's funny, all these, we have these different rules and why. <laughs> if you feel something, oh I know, if you feel something, express it. End of. Yeah. Full stop. You yeah. know, exclamation mark, actually. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> the, the idea of being like to an audience, it's like, great, cool. You've given us your money. You've probably paid for parking. You've probably um, bought a couple of drinks at the bar. Like it's inc- like getting up to become a more and more expensive night as we go. Now sit here and here's 17 rules, depending on what theatre you're in, that you are and aren't allowed to do. Yes. No wonder people are like, oh, I don't know if I want to go to his match or the concert hall. It seems yeah. like there are too many. Do I have to buy another shirt? And it's like, no. No, <laughs> no. And look, you know, that to be fair, there isn't one arts company in, in Perth. I think that is now looking backwards. They're all looking forwards. Totally. But yes. what we have to do is find a way to communicate that. We have to encourage people to be brave. We have to find ways to say to audiences, this is your entry point. And obviously there's still some stuff that we do that would be challenging. Mm. You know, every arts company and, you know, even things that I conceive and produce and create, um, you know, I'm aware of, I am actually doing that for the connoisseur. I'm doing it for the people that I know love this music and mm. I want them to experience it in a new way. So no, if you've never heard an orchestra, perhaps don't come and hear Schnitker, you know, <laughs> as your first break in piece, you know. Yep. Um, but, you know, we've, we've still got a long way to do to say to people, right, these are the three things we're putting on this year that are for the absolute novice. This is mm-hmm. the absolute, you've never been before, you're petrified of it, but you actually want to be brave and experience something new. And the weird thing is, um, Aria, even within our genres, you know, are people from your burlesque and cabaret world going to hear a symphony? Probably not. Mm -hmm. So it's even within our own world of art, we're still terrified of trying other people's things. It's it's changing more and more. I think the um, lines are becoming more and more blurred, like every single day. The way that um, burlesque and drag are now almost occupy the same space. Space, absolutely. They've now butted up against circus and they've now butted up against... Yeah, and all of them need... And I can't wait for that world to then have this stupendous explosive collision with classical orchestras, baroque ensembles, theatre troupes, contemporary dance. I mean, my God, you know, I just, I I think that there would be so much creativity if you could get us all in a room together. Yeah. And then we go back to the question you asked before, which is who pays for all that? Who pays for all that? I know. (laughs) The thing is, you know, and this is what's um, got to change, Mm. that basically to do something like that, we need investment. Yeah. Now, that is a word that so many of us in the arts just don't seem to be able to use because we're not quite sure what that means. And so we're like, I need a grant, meaning I need someone to pay for this. No, 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 we don't. It's really great. We will recoup that investment because if we create something incredible and get people along and then contour it and then people want to license it in Paris and then Mm. a major global brand is like, can we use this for our commercial? It will get a return on that investment, but we need the skills to go this is the vision I've got for this project. And yes, I am willing to tweak it 10% to make sure that it has that opportunity to mm. have commercial realisation. And by commercial, I don't mean selling out. I mean having a financial benefit at the end of it. Yeah, so just something that I think a lot of performers go like, oh, am I allowed one of those? Correct. <laughs> Absolutely. And, you know, who are these investors? And I know so many people that donate. I know that if we turned it around and said, could you invest? 
Mm, be a different, yeah. It would be, and we are in a we are in a gambling state. This is Western Australia. People invest in mining companies a dollar a share in the hope they're going to make a million, yeah. And they'll invest several thousand. So it is a gambling state. People will take a gamble. So you know, you're right. You've got to get some runs on the board first to show people you know what you're doing. Mm. But my feeling is that once we have a few runs, that we need to be brave enough to go out and say, "I need you to invest." Yeah, I know. I really love that. Um, I think that something you touched on a little earlier that I want to delve into, which I think is heavily related to this idea of getting more and more people to invest and invested in the arts as audience members is the idea of like everyone desperately needing to be creative um, in some capacity at all times. Can you talk a little bit about that? So, yeah, one of the projects I'm working on since leaving Perth Symphony is a program called Arts at Work. And basically we have shut out creativity from ourselves and this is reinforced in every bit of our life. And I think even artists haven't really clocked this. Mm -hmm. And what I mean by that is when I see my friend Rupert, who's trying to warm up for a concert at Sydney Opera House in the kitchen and the car park of of a hotel in Sydney, because there is no practice room, but you realize there's a gym, then you start understanding that, you know, if a tennis player turns up for the Australian Open and stays in a hotel, there will be a gym in which they can stay fit and whatever. If a concert violinist turns up and stays in a hotel, there is absolutely nowhere for them to work. This is replicated mm. And if across... they make noise, that would be considered to uh, be a violation, naughty, naughty. Correct, yes. which is why he was in the kitchen because mm-hmm. he got removed from his room. Um, and, you know, every office on St. George's Terrace here in Western Australia has uh, bike racks. They have showers, they have gyms, they have lunchtime netball. They'll probably pay for their staff to do the city to surf. Totally. They've probably got matchy-matchy <laughs> jerseys on the pelotons you know Why it's not a matchy matchy choir shirt <laughs> uh, correct so I'm literally like so hang on a minute you want people to be fit you want them to be active you facilitate that you create space for that you encourage that you make you normalize that in the workplace but I have yet to see a practice room I have yet to see an instrument locker so even if you're a cellist that plays in a amateur orchestra after work where the hell is that goddamn instrument going to go during the day? No, don't bring it. Don't see it. Let's have zero visibility of creativity anywhere in Australia, except in those very elite concert halls that everyone's scared to go to. Mm. Or arts institutions, which you're only at for a very small part of your life. So I'm on a mission to change that. And I believe that um, going forward, artificial intelligence, as was stated this morning at an economics breakfast I went to, is the fourth industrial revolution. And what artificial intelligence does is assimilate everything that's out there it can search the net for things it can delve into existing it cannot envisage a future it Mm. cannot empower people to do amazing change the inspiration the creativity so it's good at copy it's good at rewriting stuff that's already out there it's great parrot but we need to work our imagination we need to flex that creativity muscle but if you're not going to build a gym for us to do it i.e a creative space at work Mm. no one is going to do it you know oh please do that at home with your kids you know don't bring that to work why on earth would you not want us to bring that to work yeah particularly when we know that arts and creativity um you know creates inspiration creates motivation lowers cortisol you know so massively Mm. massive impact on stress and anxiety which the mental health research has been done (laughs) god knows our workplaces need so look you know there's just this huge need but more fundamental to that part of the research that we've done so our entire program is backed by science so this isn't a oh bobby loves the arts and everyone needs to love it too (laughs) this is a no there is a fundamental humanistic physical well-being neurological Mm. reason that we should be doing the arts I would encourage anyone listening to your podcast to 
watch Alan Harvey's TEDx Perth talk Mm -hmm. called Your Brain on Music, where he very clearly explains that there is only one species on planet Earth that can synchronize. There is only one species on planet Earth that can synchronize and sing together and dance together and move together. There is only one species on planet Earth that can sing together, dance together, move together and sing in harmony together. And guess what? That's humans. Do it all at once somehow. Right. So why is that? And why is it that we, when we're watching on YouTube, a flash mob of dancers in Grand Central Station, Mm. does it look so epic when the whole place bursts out and dance and moves together? Why is it that when we hear a monster crowd at a football game all singing together, we get goosebumps and we know that their team is going to be inspired and feel like fighting, you know, gladiators? (laughs) Why? Because we are meant to sing. We are meant to synchronize. We are meant to do things together. You and me talking now, I talk, then you talk, then I talk. That is a distinctly distinct thing as in we're having a conversation but we're not connecting if we were to down tools right now and sing a duet we would have an entirely different feel towards one another we change at a cellular level you can actually watch the brain changing when Mm. we do that that will instantly connect us and put us in rhythm so imagine what would happen if the world sung together extraordinary and because of the thing like we're taking music out of schools church is not as popular as it used to be. I used to, when I was a kid, I just thought church was a music place. I didn't understand the religion bit of it. And every time we'd go and sing and how fantastic. I went to a church of England primary school and every morning it was hymns in assembly. So I just thought assembly meant, you know, singing. I didn't know hymns were really, you know, I didn't understand the bigger picture. But for me, it was music. All of that's gone. Mm. So we are singing less and less. We are synchronizing I mean, I'd love anyone listening to this to just have a think. When was the last time you did something in sync with another human? And it's made me realize I, at university, fell in love with the sport of rowing. And I've only understood since meeting Alan Harvey. Of course, yeah. Rowing is an absolutely synchronized sport. So, of course, of I used to hate sport. I mean, I was always active as a kid. But honestly, running around a hockey pitch in the rain, you know, <laughs> with a ball and then sort of tripping over it, um, just had nothing for me. Whereas being in a rowing crew with this incredible rhythm of this synchronized stroke. Now I understand why I need it and why I love it. It's really, really cool. And it's such a great vision. And I'm sure one that is very inspiring to, we have a quite a wide range of listeners and especially listeners who are new artists and up and coming artists, which is incredible. What would you like to say that the local community can do at like maybe a micro level to be involved in it? Because we probably can't all put a music room in a building on a <laughs> bank rest. <laughs> no, 100%. But I think what we have to do, um, it's a little bit like we've got the PR wrong. The arts hasn't got the PR right. Sport oh, 100%. has got the PR right. Mm-hmm. Sport went straight for the science. If you do this, you're going to be fit, healthy, lower cholesterol, live longer. Yep. So everyone's like, oh, well, even though I absolutely hate it and I feel sweaty and gross when I do it and going for a run is the worst thing ever, I've got to do it yep. because someone has told me it's good. Whereas mm. we just go, no, 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 but arts is lovely. Oh, it's going to be lovely for you. And everyone's like, I don't have time for love. No, the science is clear that this world and you are going to have a far greater existence, live longer and be infinitely more enriched, which is going to literally help your cognitive skills, your emotional skills, absolutely build relationships within your own family, within your friends, within your network, that there is a compelling reason to say, I have to do this for myself. I have to find time to engage with and connect with music and art on a regular basis as much as I would with sport. And people do. People get out of bed at five in the morning, God damn it, to go for a run. I mean, yeah. who the hell gets out of bed at five in the morning to put some headphones on and listen to something? No one. Mm. 
let's do that. Let's actually make that space and time. Let's encourage our workplaces to say, you know, can we sing together? Can we start a lunchtime car? Why not? Can we um, persuade that this year our office team, and I don't care if you're part of five people who work for a physiotherapist or you're a nurse in a hospital or you're a banker or you're a teacher or you're a mum and you've got a mum's group, this year, Secret Santa is not a ridiculous cow mug and an absolutely useless calendar, totally. which is going in the bin. It's a ticket to see someone at Fringe. Mm, yeah. If everyone in Perth for Secret Santa bought a ticket to see something in the arts for someone else, that person might just have their life changed. And even if you've got the most unlikely combo, and I'm very going to stereotype here because I have a lot of friends who are FIFO workers and wear steel cap boots who, yep. like, who like ballet. They mm. just can't declare it um, because, again, cultural cringe. But if you've got someone who's a you know, high-vis vest-wearing, steel cap boot-wearing person who you're sending off to see contemporary ballet, if they're brave enough to go, their life, even if they don't like it, they will talk about it. Yeah. They will observe what's going on. It will profoundly move them. And they can always talk about it for the rest of their life. Oh, I hated it, but this is what I saw. And guess what? They'll Mm. remember that more than many other experiences in their life. So for us to experience art, participate in it, connect with it. So every single person listening to this podcast can make that commitment of I'm going to create for 20 minutes a day. And by the way, synchronizing is the most critical thing. Mm. Yeah, it can be obviously a solo activity when it when it needs to, to be, be, but the um the way of actually doing it, it, whatever it is for you with other people, it could be drawing. You can just sit down and color in things. I don't care. Like, Absolutely, <laughs> whatever it is. Absolutely, Absolutely. Yeah. express yourself through something other than a laptop and words, mm. because our entire life is limited to those two very narrow things. Expressing yourself physically, we all know what it's like to when you just let go at a disco and dance like no one's watching. Yeah, there's a reason people chase it. Yeah, absolutely. You know, yeah. like so that find different ways to express yourself. Under the it's very always really funny. I find that idea of like clubbing and dancing and stuff because like the guys of like, but the idea is that I'm going. I'm not going out to dance. I'm going out to drink and hopefully hook up with somebody. It's like I mean, you're going out to dance. Yeah, ninety eight percent of the time you're not getting that wasted and you're probably not taking someone home. So. Home exactly. <laughs> but you are dancing <laughs> exactly, and it is. It's releasing chemicals. Yeah. So. I'm sorry, but when I run, I don't feel my cholesterol going down. I mean, the last time I went for a run, I'm pretty sad. I just felt crap and sweaty. I yeah. don't remember thinking, oh, now what does my cholesterol feel like? It. <laughs> you don't know what's going on in your body. Totally. But I'm telling you now that participating, particularly in music and dance, 100% is doing amazing, incredible, wonderful, brilliant things to you. Yeah. And that's at every accessibility point too. That's not at a point that you can't reach that is you alone at home that's you in the car that's you with other people in a small way or in a large way it's really important and good 100 percent. yeah um this is where i ask you to plug all of the amazing things that you do because i don't think i'll be able to top getting everybody on this show to do something really cool and i hope that yeah i hope that this inspires a lot of people to continue doing the arts and creating in the art space that they want to um or trying something new as well we love that uh so what can we plug for you Look, there's one, um, I mean, there's multiple projects I'm working on. <laughs> I've just, so I've got to get them. I've just got to get investors, but you know, it takes time and I'm working on it. But um, one company is called The Rare Company. Yes, I mentioned in the intro, yes. And, yeah. you know, I would love to have rare jazz, rare theatre, rare cabaret, rare cinema, rare everything. <laughs> and Rare stands for the really awesome regional events company. And the model of this company is a groundbreaking business model because that's how I like to go about things where if <laughs> no, we... No, just not like a light casual <laughs> business model. But it's literally, again, just going, look, it's really expensive to tour and it's really hard work and everyone's trying to build their own tours and find their own 
I just want people to go and do their art everywhere. Mm. So if I can facilitate a business model where I can run over 300 concerts a year, where by doing that, everything is more effective. We have one admin team, one ticketing hub in the wheat belt, that everything is run centrally, mm. that we'll have one brand manager that can take care of everyone's different bits. So we're not having to set up companies who are then having to do their own marketing because yeah. the waste of administrative resources to do that, that's why it's so expensive. Yeah. Um, so watch this space, the rare company, it will be headquartered in 2J, um, but operating across Western Australia. And the idea is to literally take pocket sized, extraordinary, varied, brilliant West Australians around their own state to share their gifts and inspire people to connect, get involved, try, watch, listen, and bring communities together. So that's, one project. Another project is the Arts at Work. So I'm currently working with five organizations awesome. to bring um, arts into the workplace. We're trying to get data and information because everyone needs to know it's going to impact the bottom line. I'm like surely creating an extraordinary workforce that feels that they can be themselves, no. express themselves, no, come to work, <laughs> you know, is, is going to, but you know, it, I don't think you're going to see a change in the bottom line tomorrow, but in three years, you're yeah. going to be the company that everyone wants to work for. Mm. Um, and yes, you will have a vastly more connected, motivated and leading the way creative company. Yeah. Um, and we need leaders to get on board with this. So, yeah, I, I'm supporting a gorgeous friend of mine, Wendell, with a company called Sing Out Loud. This is my mission to get the world singing. Um, and basically Sing Out Loud is creating club nights, but performing music with lyrics on the board. So nice. karaoke is terrifying. I hate my, I'm a singer and I hate microphones because I'm a, been to karaoke. Oh my God. I'm a classical singer. And honestly, just like every single listener block your ears right now. But I remember singing at the school disco, I should be so lucky, lucky, <laughs> lucky, lucky. I should. And no one wants to hear me sing. You know, when you're a classical singer, it's just yeah. awful so for me to do carrot but that doesn't mean I don't love singing mm. Kylie Minogue I just don't need people to hear me do it because it's <laughs> horrific and so you know the idea of creating a night where I can go out with my mates instead of dancing like no one's watching sing like no one's listening mm-hmm. and so basically look out for this because sing out loud is coming so we're launching pretty soon but hopefully rolling out some events across the year so you'll see that an artist that you know and love and just go, oh my God, can I go and sing that entire album at the top of my voice with my friends? Yes, you can. <laughs> no, there's no microphone. Yes, the lyrics are there. So that, oh, that's Sing Out Loud. Um, I would love to build a profile as a speaker. And that's just because for me to talk to individual CEOs about the things I'm passionate about, for me to try and change the narrative in Australia from we're a blokey, sporty, laid back mm. nation, not really into that ballet stuff. It's bullshit. Yeah, it's not even true. (laughs) Forgive me for calling it, but this journey I'm on where I am speaking to CEOs, they kind of lean in in a very conspiratorial fashion after (laughs) I've been speaking for about 30, 40 minutes and go, can I tell you something? And I'm like, yes. And they're like, I'm a dancer. And I'm like, hang on, hang on. What, 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 what? You're the CEO of a, you know, property development firm and you've got two world championship medals in sport. And now you're telling me that you're dance. And it's like, well, yes, my wife made me go for our wedding 10 years ago we loved it we go every week we do ballroom dancing I do your employees know no yeah do your family know no okay so why because everyone would and like okay what you're going to get laughed at again for doing something you love and honestly Aria the number of CEOs have now coughed up and Australia has a dirty little art secret (laughs) and that is behind our greatest gifted leaders and senior people Mm. 
they have an arts background or a very um, secret desire to be a guitarist or pianist or yeah performer yeah totally and yeah. so I want to unleash that I think Shocker. it absolutely doesn't surprise me at all that somebody who aspires to being a CEO and a public speaker and that at the at the top of something or presenting consistently because that is media that is arts that is management oh they're artistic yeah duh duh precisely <laughs> of course they are they so, actively put themselves in front of all of you and how liberating would it be for those yeah. of us in the arts to suddenly have people say oh god yeah Aussies they're so creative they're mm. so inspiring they've all got these crazy gifts they just spontaneously sing and dance on the streets. I mean, my God, that's the Australia that I would love to. I am an athlete. I love sport. Don't get me wrong. So I never want to give up my sport, um, my rowing. I still row. Yeah. I'm competing in a couple of months time. I will never stop that. I am not a sport basher, but it's got to stop being sport or art. Mm. We need to be a nation of sport and, and art. And so I'm, you know, getting some coaching and mentoring to help me I would say be more concise, as you can tell, I need to work on this Um, and create, you know, really compelling speeches that I can deliver that change the way people perceive and think about the arts and encourage more people to go away and participate, go away and rethink how they're designing buildings, hotels, schools, you know, community centres, everything, because we need to redesign Australia to make room for all of us that want to and can create and then we'll have a snowball effect. 100%. 100%. Yeah, there's, these are absolutely incredible. I do have to cut us off, unfortunately. Um, but if you want to find Bobby and all the incredible projects, everything that she's spoken today about will be in our show notes. And as always, if you like this podcast, rate, review, subscribe, or send us a question to waexposepod at gmail.com and we'll ask our next incredible guest. Thank you so much, Bobby, for joining My me. My absolute pleasure. WA Expose is an independent production. Our artwork was created by Georgia Sassenfeld and our theme music is Corrosive by Aria Scarlett and M. Burrows. You can find out more about the podcast or live shows at ariascarlett.com forward slash WA expose. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more and is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.